Early 20s is a good time to get that? I guess so, yeah. I, uh, I still get uh, my, um, my dentist still nags me because I don't have my wisdom teeth out yet. And uh, I just don't really want to do that. It wasn't bad. I got mine out. Your wisdom teeth? Now, did you take the laughing gas, or did you go all the way under, or did you, like, really yeah, tough it out? Just, just went under. It was four impacted teeth. They pretty much have to put you under. Right, right, right. I've been under twice now. I guess so. Yeah, and, I, and how I, is it? Uh, is it nice? I have to say it's a very interesting experience when you come back out of it. It's like being, uh, it's like realizing everything all over again. Like, oh, I forgot about this place. I was alive once. You know? Right. Very... <laughs> You're like rebooting from toast to state, right? Yeah, it's, it is very interesting. And especially when you're all hopped up on these crazy uh, painkiller drugs, the, uh, the laudan. That stuff's uh, powerful. Oh, yeah. Now, when Christina worked at the hospital, I kept asking her to get some of that stuff for me, but uh, no luck. <laughs> Now, I think that's, uh, I think I've heard on that too, is to take some questions via the chat room, answer them via voice, problems with that, yeah, uh, those shows are live, yeah, so that's, uh, that's a little tricky. I think, I mean, I, I was really hoping to get uh, a bunch of people in through TeamSpeak, but uh, my... Um, well, do, do they, there were people signing on to TeamSpeak, were they told to come here? Um, they never signed on to my TeamSpeak server because although I tried to open up every single port and fi turn off the firewall and everything, it, my computer just never responded. Even though it was fully available, uh, I just kept every time you'd connect, it would show up on the list, but it would just never, you wouldn't weren't able to connect to it. So then they went to Neil's, and then um, I don't know what Neil's did with his, whether it's still running or not. But, uh, but the for problem those is, of us, sorry, go ahead. For those of us using Macs also, we don't have the search feature in... Uh, in the TeamSpeak client, so we need a we need an actual URL to go to with the ah. uh, port port number. Right. Well, it is uh, it's one of these things that you know <laughs> we'll we'll get the hang of it at some point, but it's going to take a couple of swings. This is even worse than trying to podcast from a car, so <laughs> it's going to take a little while. I mean, the, I, I figured that the odds of it actually working flawlessly the first time around with us being able to record it and everything too were not better than about one in five. So I can't say that I'm wildly uh, shocked. Yeah, tell me a little bit about this shoutcast thing. I've, I've read about it a little bit, but I haven't worked with it at all. Uh, it's a, a radio distribution, and uh, you have a server, and uh, people can connect. It's pretty easy. And you use uh, Winamp to uh, broadcast to, to, the, to, you, to the server. And Winamp is multi-platform, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> The, you can you can use the you can receive Winamp protocol feeds on a on iTunes. Ah, okay, very nice. Well, now if, I guess we've got the maximum number of people in that we can get to, today, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll try setting up uh, shoutouts, but uh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, I, I sort of there was an interesting question that was posted on the board today. I don't know how many people have answered it, which is whether people came into libertarianism or I guess you could say minarchism or anarcho-capitalism, whether people came into that through the left wing or through the right wing. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out to people and sort of see what uh, what uh, what the answer is to that. I was a lefty. Really? Ah, tell us, tell us, tell us it all. Tell us the whole sorted sorted tale. Um. <laughs> it's always funny because you, you ask somebody that, and I mean, to, to tell a, a full story, it would take hours, you know? I mean, uh, it's, it's sort of funny when I think about how to sum stuff up like that, but 
yeah, I don't know, just raised a typical Democrat by my parents, you know, we vote the Democratic Party line, and, you know, this is, you're going to register to vote and do the same as us. And, uh, I don't know, I was, I was very much pro-free uh, health care. That was always one issue in my mind. I always viewed Europe as very superior uh, to America than on that issue. You know, oh, they have free, free universal health care, and we don't. And, our government is behind theirs and all this stuff. Boy, well, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't free health care be the best thing in the world? <laughs> I mean, who could argue with that? It'd be wonderful. Just, I might be dead by now. It's impossible, but it's nice to think about. Now, I your mom's a, a public school teacher, right? She's a public school psychologist. Psychologist. So, wow, a public school worker or somebody who works in the public school system who's a Democrat. You never hear about oh, that. Oh, in, in southern New Jersey, they're all Democrats. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I, uh, you can't, you can't see me putting my sarcasm hat on. I'm oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> no a little out of it. What about you, um, Eddie? Is no. he there? I, he hasn't said anything. He apparently is in progress. Uh, Greg, is Greg in? Oh, oops, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I have my mic on mute. Oh, hi, Greg. Uh, what about, uh, what about uh, you? Did you come left or right? The, well, the household I grew up in... Uh, my, my, my mom is a conservative Democrat. My dad is a liberal Republican, Ooh. and uh, I, I've always been sort of a uh, right-leaning moderate myself. Uh, up until uh, pretty much up until I graduated high school, um, but I've always had a sort of anti-authoritarian streak in me. So when I uh, stumbled upon the uh, Libertarian Party. Uh, after looking into that for a while, I was, I was pretty much a, a libertarian ever since. So I've been I've been libertarian for probably about ten, twelve years now. But and uh, not sound, sorry, not it sounds a little serious. bit like you came from the centrist, the centrist sort of area, since your your mom and dad sort of blend into the middle. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of a right leaning centrist position. So, um, but but for myself, I, I I've always because of my own anti-authoritarianism, I've always kind of leaned toward the Libertarian Party itself, but, but uh, I was never really, um, um, how could I put this, uh, uh, I, I was really only, only identifying as a Libertarian, not really understanding why, until probably about four or five years ago, when I really started looking into the the philosophy and everything. And for you, what was the uh, was there a defining moment that um, or a defining argument that that got you over the fence, so to speak? I wonder if anyone can hear me. Is she back? Hello. I think we're out again. Are we out again? Yep. Oops. <laughs> you. It's nice that you actually have something that's not uh, 
Hello, hello. Oh, he's restart. Nice that way. That you actually have a chat rather than just everything going dead. <laughs> I thought maybe I got boring and everyone dropped. Us. But who? Just call Niels, I guess. Yeah. So cool. Hi. Can you start Hello? the conference with everybody? Hi. Okay. You bet. So I guess, sorry, Greg. The the I guess the the moral of that story is to just okay. speed up your stories a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta keep it snappy. I know that from podcasting. Don't even take a breath if you can avoid it. So I guess, sorry, Greg. The the I guess the moral of that story is to just speed up your stories a little bit. Whoops. <laughs> you know, you gotta gotta keep it snappy. I know that from podcasting. Who's doing Don't even take a breath if you can avoid it. Who's that sexy-sounding British guy? Somebody's using speakers. <laughs> Who's that sexy-sounding British guy? We're all Skype. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know this is about the best conversation I think I've ever had in my life? You don't need this to play. Here, if I've got um, yeah. any kind of linking going on here, can you guys hear this? All right. Oh, I think I hear an echo. <laughs> Nothing indeed. Now, uh, just for those who you probably know this, right? But you're, you're getting an no. echo because you've got speakers uh, with. Um, yeah, right, I think so. so. If you, it's really oh, weird. I've got uh, two sound cards, and uh, all the different pieces of software have their own input-outputs uh, defined. But somehow this it gets messed up. I don't know how. But I think that the uh, the excellent thing about this is it sounds pretty close, technically, to being possible to allowing me to <laughs> answer my own questions. Is that is that where we're going? Because you know that that's like, about uh, as playing tennis with yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Wait, is that a metaphor? <laughs> no webcams. We need webcams. Oh, Christina almost gave me a look there. <laughs> almost. Okay, so uh, we're we're yeah. We're I'll, okay I'll stop going? using uh, shoutcast. It's just a uh, problematic. So, um, let's start again. So, Gregory, you were saying that you came uh, in uh, through the middle, uh, through your, your sort of left, 
your right leaning leftist mom and your left leaning rightist dad. Was yeah, that's that's about the size of it. Cool. And was there an argument that uh, gave you, uh, like, sort of really jolted you over the fence as far as libertarianism goes? I'm just sort of trying to figure out what appeals to centrists, what appeals to leftists, and what appeals to rightists. Well, in terms of for me, it was that. logical consistency. Most definitely. That's that's something that uh, I've always been sort of attracted to is um, uh, a logical framework to work from that that's unassailable. And, you know, as you pick apart the, the attitudes and opinions and policies of the left and right, you start to see where, you know... Especially around the notion of state power, where it's bad sometimes, but not others, and the division line always seems to be arbitrary. And so, that—that's kind of where I came from. It was sort of in search of a, a consistent philosophy to subscribe to. Now, was that something that you knew was missing from your life or from your thinking? Did you, did you think it was possible and went in search of it, or did you find it in libertarianism and then sort of realize simultaneously that you were uh, y- You know, it, it's, it was... It's hard to pick either, either side of that coin. I mean, it, it's almost as if it happened, you know, both ways. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out a way to describe it, but I, like you didn't know you were missing it, and then when you found it, you realized that your life was now like in a, a sort of a differently right. Well, a different you know, or I, or like I explored pretty much everything that politics had to offer. I, you know, was once a member of the Democratic Party and was once a member of the Republican Party and. You know, I spent a lot of time listening to radio pundits and bouncing from this one to that one. And every time I switched, I switched because, you know, it was like, you know, you, you just kind of sensed that there was something wrong, you know. And after a while, you could start picking out where, where you know, people would say one thing and then, you know, a couple of days later would contradict themselves on another, on another issue saying exactly the opposite. And so it was sort of like, you know, you realize that there's a problem there, but you can't quite put your finger on what it is. And then, and then, uh, um, libertarianism was sort of like the answer to that question. But, but even it, still at its core, at least the political libertarianism at its core, suffered from the same kind of problems. And so when I stumbled on your podcast and and your uh, forum, it was like, you know, the light bulb went on and it was like, well, of course, you know. And uh, all you had to do was wait for <laughs> podcast 189 to get the point. So I'd say that's pretty efficient. I'm just curious about something. Um, I just want to know how, how, um, how visible the Libertarian Party is in the United States. It certainly is not here in Canada. And in fact, until I met Steph, I knew uh, nothing about it. In the United it. States, it's uh, it, it's not visible at all. No. It, except uh, for a few random news stories, right? That will just portray it in a really silly light. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah like, like they did. They, they did a thing once on libertarians and on the Daily Show, I think, and they really made fun of them in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, so it, it does show up, but it's, it's you know like the Ralph Nader's or the Green Party. It's considered to be actually a, well, a well, fringe well, movement. It, it, and uh, sorry, go ahead. I think uh, something like South Park. You know, this season, season ten, has gone full blown libertarian, except for the fact that they're still South Park, so they can't. Like they're just they're just held back from doing certain things, you know. Like the the latest episode was great, you know, and it, it basically they wanted to show Muhammad. Fox wouldn't let them, you know, or uh, Comedy Central wouldn't let them, you know. So in this whole, you know, like, we're gonna make, like, make this an issue, you know, and really show that this is you know harming us, and, and uh, they're really going with it, but they're still held back in many ways because of their format. Like a lot of the things that that you know Stephen Colbert or John Stewart say. You know, Stephen Colbert, I think, has a great sense of how to pick up on what's wrong, you know, like, just like Alex Jones. But he's, his, his, his format doesn't allow him to offer solutions. You know, he... Can I, sorry, interrupt for just one sec. Can I just ask whoever's typing to maybe switch off the mic while they're typing? Uh, yeah, like just... Uh, sorry, uh, go had, ahead. Um, Michael Brown, the former FEMA director on there, and absolutely just, like, pandered to him. And I was like, come on, you need to tear this guy up. Like, he... You know, you want to be a. Well, it's the same thing that happens with um, when you look at uh, John Stewart with John Kerry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the same kind of issue that these guys definitely need to get the political context. They need to get inside information. I mean, the Daily Show a little bit less, but they need to get those people on there who are uh, either McCain involved with in the state or in the state, right. so that you they should, can get the seen, stuff uh, that they John need. John Stewart. So, uh, like kissing the toes of Senator John McCain the other night. It was. I saw that one. It was oh. like watching a remora hit a shark. It was terrible. Um, so yeah. So I mean, that, that's one of the main problems. I've still yet to get started on my whole thing on the media. Uh, Niels was kind enough to give me access to an interesting uh, called Orwell rolls over in his grave or something like that, which is a fairly long-winded but interesting critique of the media, which of course <laughs> lays the foundation of the problems in the media at the ground of, well, the FCC did this, and Colin Powell's kid did that, and we changed the ownership restrictions, and, like, that's the problem. Like, <laughs> like the problem is that we just don't have enough regulation <laughs> to make the media work well for us, because Lord knows it worked so well in the 50s, right? I just think that stuff's so funny, and if you were to go to any of these people, and the central thrust of what I want to talk about in this is that if you, if you go to these people and you say, so you feel that a uniformity of communication is a bad thing, but you like public schools with one curriculum for an entire country. <laughs> I just think that's funny that they look at the media, you know? And if the consumers don't seem to notice that there's a uniformity of opinion, is that because they've been involved in public school for 14 years rather than they might listen to a commercial or two on a, or, or a news show or two? I just think uh, it's the, the, the normal thing that people just miss for me. They miss the entire forest looking at the, the root of one tree, and at the same point, there's this whole forest that they just could look up and have a look at, which they just, for reasons that still escape me to this day and may escape me until I die, they just can't see the basics. But if you're concerned about uniformity of opinion, the last thing you'd worry about is the media, and the first thing you'd worry about is public education. Now, I think, was uh, there someone who... Uh, is Neil still working on the shoutcast thing? Are you on, Niels? Now, did you come from the left wing or the right wing or uh, out of a... Uh, well, from I'm from the Netherlands. <laughs> well, 
So left wing? We're not really that much into the whole left wing, right wing thing. Uh, pretty much centrist is considered good here. And uh, it's really a, a, an American thing, you know? Right. But something pulled you out of the centrist quagmire, right? Yeah. Uh, it started when I listened to Frank on the Hellbound Ellie show. And he, uh, they sarcastically mentioned that uh, they were talking about libertarianism, how bad it was. <laughs> but, I, but I could sense that, that they weren't really meaning it, although I, I really had to listen good, for, good to it. And uh, it was just all logic from there. You you read up a bit and uh, there's no stopping it, you know. And then I listened to your first uh, three podcasts, and I was completely convinced. It, it, it took no effort whatsoever. Yeah, it's funny when that stuff does work. I mean, I certainly had that same issue of sort of self-convincing when I began working with these ideas. But it is funny how when you're ready for an idea, it sort of comes right into you and sort of almost takes you over. And you don't have to, I mean, you still have to reason it out and validate what you're saying, but I just think that, that that's a particularly fascinating phenomenon. And if we understood a little bit more about that, how to create those conditions, uh, I think that would be really cool in terms of getting the message out further. That's why, to me, that journey about how you get to believe what you believe is really fascinating. Because, of course, if it is just genetic, I mean, to, for want of a better phrase, then we're kind of doomed, right? <laughs> but if we can find some way to get the, the uh, beliefs across to other people uh, in a way that was as compelling to them as it was to us, then I think we've got a really exciting opportunity. Now, is uh, Eddie in? No, Greg? Uh, Aaron, are you in? Of leaving, so. Yeah, i gotta, I got to take off. I don't mean to cut out early, but uh, i got some place to be at 4.30, so i got to go. Party pooper. <laughs> some place more important to be. I, 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 is, is your house currently on fire? Is that, is well, that the issue? But it's already 5 o'clock. Maybe well, not, uh, maybe not more important, but, but scheduled before you were scheduled. So. <laughs> got it. Well, it's either a woman or exactly. it's a paying job. That's a, pay, all we can think a paying about. woman. Okay, do you want to drop off? Uh, do, uh, <laughs> Let's see well, you, know, see we you guys later. Her, so. All right, bye we'll, bye. Do it, uh, we'll do it a bit more securely next time. Okay, bye. Now, uh, Francois does want in. Uh, anyone? Anything? And Adi. All right. And Adi. Hello, everyone. Oh, and Adi. Hello. Glad to see you all again. <laughs> now, is uh, Eddie? Did you make it in? Well, what is the the discussion uh, about? Eddie's microphone is, is broken, I believe. He said something about Oh, Eddie's microphone is broken. <laughs> oh well. Uh, gee, I'd sort of like to have people in here who yeah. could actually participate. Call me crazy, but. Well, let's just wait until somebody else wants it. Uh, Francois, what we're chatting about is, did you come from the left or come from the right in terms oh, of getting towards uh, libertarianism? And we've had one left, one right, oh, and one person from the left. <laughs> and Niels, I guess. <laughs> Which uh, apparently is a, a I agree. Those people from the Netherlands are pretty weird. I have to agree with that. I live in, uh, in Molen. Oh, 
Right, but you are being called weird by somebody from Quebec, so that is either really weird or completely We're being white? Oh, uh, I was just saying to Niels that you're being called weird by somebody from Quebec, which means that hmm. you're completely weird or totally well, that's, uh, Yeah, that's... Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, it's about time. <laughs> so, Francois, oh. which way did you come in from? I think, um, well, I became a libertarian pretty young, so, but I would say that before that, I came perhaps from a more right-wing perspective, but not, not necessarily, uh, ideologically, because I didn't really know about what a right-wing person was supposed to be, just from my individual preferences, I think I was more right-wing, per se. So right, came, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I certainly came from... I Be think I came because more from right-wing than Because I think that I had a perception um, that right-wing people were more elitist, which I was even when I was younger. So I think that's why I tended to more stick to that. Right, right. I think I also found that the the machismo side of things, where it's nice to sort of sit in your middle class home and talk tough about war and welfare, uh, appealed to a sort of base caveman sense of mind that uh, uh, I think led me a little bit more down the right wing than the left wing. Mm. Uh, I don't really know about that. Sorry. Now, I guess I'd like to ask something else, too, which is around a very interesting thread, and I'm going to try and podcast either tonight or tomorrow morning on this, about this issue of, of child raising, which is a very interesting uh, issue. Uh, do, we have, uh, do we have any parents? I don't think we have any parents yet no. on this call, right? No parents? Maybe. I don't think so. So that's good. That's good. We can keep Those it nice and theoretical. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Would you like to share something? Um, and uh, so... I think that that's kind of interesting around, it would be very interesting if we could find something in common about our childhoods that gave us uh, some sort of leaning towards this. Uh, I think, because, I mean, it's my sense that we all have sort of pretty diverse backgrounds when it comes to our childhoods, but it would be interesting if there was anything in common, because it might help us ask some sort of qualifying questions to those that were trying to convert, if there was some sort of common factor that we could, we could uh, find. I know that for myself, sort of my own, I mean, negative experiences with authority when I was a kid, and also the fact that I sort of became my own authority sort of pretty young, sort of being on my own since I was like 14 or 15. So for me, the idea that you needed an authority in your life to make your life run better never really made any sense to me at all. And so I think that would sort of have something to do with me, but that's pretty different from what other people have experienced here. So I was wondering if we could just sort of talk and share a few ideas about anything that might have occurred, any sort of, any book we read or any teacher that we had or any ideas that we came across or any sort of innate tendencies that may have been uh, further, um, I guess, uh, enhanced in our childhood experiences that might have led us to be receptive Can I go to these, first? these kinds of ideas. What happened was, when I was very sure. young, around uh, 12 or 13, I think, I naturally started to uh, resist uh, the things that people wanted from me just because they wanted it. I, I, re I started to be skeptical. I said, well, why? And they, they, they've, ne they've never given me any answers. So my skepticism just grew. 
and uh, also the fights uh, grew. <laughs> it was a big uh, shout contest, my my youth. But uh, that's just me. And ultimately, it led to uh, some uh, some answers, but it took years and years. Now, do you, do you, did you have any sort of catalytic moment or anything which you think might have given you more skepticism or a lot uh, more than I'm those I'm not around? sure if this has anything to do with it, but um, my father was uh, abroad for uh, one and a half years without us when I was about um, ten, I think. Maybe that's got something to do with it, I'm not sure. Or maybe... So, sorry, your father yeah. was away for a couple of years just before puberty for you? Interesting. And uh, what was your, when your father left, I mean, did you experience that as a really bad well, thing? Well, uh, we were living in thing? Saudi Arabia, and uh, the, the war started there. So we, uh, when we were vacationing in the Netherlands, uh, the war broke out. And uh, we stayed here, and my father had to go back for uh, some time. And uh, my sister uh, always told me that she really had a tough time with that, that she thought uh, it was a bad thing of him not to be here. But I myself can't really consciously remember any uh, strong emotions from that or something. I don't know. Interesting. So you didn't particularly miss your dad... And I'm just trying to think. Yeah, that is interesting. So you didn't miss your dad too much, which meant that your sort of your you know your bond with your father wasn't rock solid, which might have led to more of a sort of independent analysis. Like when you have a very strong bond with an authority figure, it can be hard to sort of think for yourself a little bit more. But if your if your bond is not as strong, then you can be a little bit more independent yeah. without feeling like you're going to. One uh, that one bond. story my mother tells sense? me. Yeah is when I was about five year, uh, four or five years old and we were living in another country and uh, all the, uh, she, uh, she drove me to, to, uh, to preschool and all the children were crying and uh, didn't want their mothers to leave but I went straight to the, to the, to the garden with the toys <laughs> it was just like bye bye <laughs> see you later Right, right. She's uh, yeah, one she's and a half years older. Older, younger than you are. She's older, so she she may have been just more aware yeah, of your father's probably. absence, just simply through her age. And were you close with your father growing up? Well, both my parents are really the type that really want certain things from you and they think it will make you happy, but they'll never really listen and understand you, you know? Like you were talking about, if there's a problem, don't be angry. But uh, my parents were always angry. Ah, uh, and now what were they angry about? Homework, uh, being lazy, being a bad boy. Oh, and just uh, typical, how were you a bad boy? Uh, youngster stuff, you know, nothing special. Right, right, right. Now, are you? Uh, forgive me for, for. You may have already answered these questions on the chat on the board, but are you from Saudi Arabia? <laughs> no. 
I'm from I'm from the Netherlands and uh, no. I was born here. Okay. And we uh, quickly left to other countries because my father works for a big oil company. Okay, so that's why you were in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so I'm quite used to uh, changing environments and uh, living in very hot countries. Just for those, I. So I guess now, you just for those, on? I. Oh, Lance, I guess yeah. you've got your speakers on. It. So if you could just mute that. So if you could just. Thanks. I mean, we do love to hear ourselves, but maybe not quite that quickly. Uh, Lance has just joined us uh, because Addy was uh, his uh, microphone was down. I thought I'd bring uh, bring Lance in. Hi, Lance. <laughs> I guess he muted everything. What's up, sorry? Over, we moment. shall see. Yeah, uh, my, my, did you, did I'm trying to figure out the Skype on the Mac, so I just got the MacBook Pro, so I'm like trying to figure out how to mute this crap. Beautiful. Well, it's actually sound good. I think we can hear you, and uh, we couldn't hear any echo, so that's good. So we have uh, Niels on the couch, which is uh, good, uh, because we're probing his relationship with his father to try and find commonalities between our experiences uh, and anything that may have led us towards... Um, uh, sort of libertarian ideas. Um, so, uh, oh, invite us to the chat room as well. Well, and maybe something you also already mentioned is that um, it, it's a bit, it's a, an ability ability to ha you have to uh, to look through some things. You know, it's a, it's different kind of intelligence, and people can be really great at uh, math or uh, really technical skills, but they can't see the plain things right in front of them. Right, right. And that there's a real resistance to seeing things plainly in front of them as well. The thing that I always find quite astonishing is that libertarianism is astoundingly easy. Um, it is the easiest political thought in the world. I mean, even, even if you just look at minarchism as opposed to anarcho-capitalism, which has its own challenges around substitutes for the state, just sort of saying violence is bad just seems to be about the easiest thing in the world, but it's something that people have such a great amount of difficulty with, which is what has, I think, always baffled most libertarian thinkers. certainly did me for many years until uh, Christina told me the answer. Yeah. So, so that helped a lot. And then did you, did you have any teachers who, who you think had any effect on, on, your, on the growth of your libertarian ideas or anything like that, or was it mostly self-study that got you along? Well, I got onto it fairly late, um when I just uh, about two years ago, I think. So uh, no teachers were involved with that. Um, uh, well, one thing I did uh, got on was uh, I started to get interested in atheism and evolution. I really got into that debate on the internet, and and um, slowly I got into the whole documentary thing, you know. All these things you can download. There's a million out of them out there, and when you start getting interested in that, you, it just it's a really it's a snowball effect. You know, you want to learn and learn and learn, because you you can choose what you find interesting and not the other way, other way around. Well, and yeah, and the great thing about any kind of rational philosophy is you have a way of organizing the knowledge. Well, you have a, a way of, of seeking it out based on some principles that make sense. Like, I've learned this. Now, the next thing that I need to learn is this. You can organize it that way. And, and the information that you do get coming in 
you have a place to put it, which is great, yeah. because otherwise you're just learning randomly, sort of grabbing. So, and that's really uh, kind of what you're saying kind of is quite interesting, because the, the evolution thing tied very well in with uh, the, the planets uh, thing and, and, and the stars. And uh, it also tied good in with the psychology. And um, you probably are familiar with uh, the... the Great documentary maker. Let me look at him up. David Attenborough, and uh, he's got this series called uh, oh, yeah. Life on Earth, and he goes th through all the stages. He starts with uh, the, the smallest uh, organisms, and he ends up with uh, with humans. And um, it's just also logical and natural. It ties in. Fantastic with with all the small uh, big things, also with the, the big things like stars and planets. Right, and once you learn about the scientific method and you learn about syllogistical reasoning, then you, I mean, for me at least, uh, once I learned about that kind of stuff, then you are stuck with the problem of like everybody believes silly things, like everybody, uh, except for I think us five, uh, which is good. I mean, I'm glad that we can't actually do more than five on this because there wouldn't be any point. Um, but once you realize that people believe silly things, then you're naturally drawn, at least I was, towards psychology to try and figure out, well, why would people believe such silly things? When it's so much work to believe silly yeah. things, and it's so easy to believe things that make sense. So that, that to me was a natural step, and it sounds like you were similar, a na natural step towards psychology, which is, well, why is everybody sort of crazy? Well, theology is a very uh, simple-to-understand problem in, in uh, why, why are people uh, like that. And once you know that everybody is insane, and, and it's an easy-to-understand problem, you can also move to other fields like uh, political beliefs. It, it wasn't that, that of a hard trans transition for me at all. Now, how did you deal with the whole problem of self-confidence? Because when you look at a world that is structured in a way that does look like a complete, like the ravings of madmen and madwomen, and you look at yourself and you say, okay, there are six billion people here, me and two other guys are right, and you all six billion minus two or three are wrong. Did you have any problem with that kind of leap? No. <laughs> or is it just starting now that I've mentioned it? <laughs> no, it's it's now just that you've um, it. <laughs> it's so easy to see how how uh, if if you understand how one person can be uh, be religious, and you can see how an entire continent can be religious, then. It doesn't make any impact. What does it matter if 50 million people believe in uh, some crazy god? I don't see how that makes any difference. Right, right. So you had no problem with the self-confidence no. that the world is wrong and, and I'm not. <laughs> Excellent. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <coughs> Andrew, are you still there? Okay, now uh, and we'll come back to Niels in a sec as I formulate my next excruciatingly personal questions. But um, I'm lying down. <laughs> now it's your turn. No. <laughs> I'm lying down on my to, um, I'm sorry? Yes, right. We're going to take you on a journey. <laughs> You're back in the womb. You're not going to smother me, are you, in the rebirthing <laughs> That's right. This was almost exactly our third date when Christina put me through regression uh. to find out if my childhood was as bad as I claimed or not. <laughs> But um, did you have? Oh. Why is not giving me? Oh, sorry about that. Just uh, getting used to the whole conference thing. Somebody's knocking at me. Um, 
did you have that uh, same same transition where you began with one particular area of rational examination or scientific thinking? Yeah, and I mean, my, to, my first what was your real sort of progress through I mean, that? The first time I ever conscious of doing this was with um, a sophomore year um, debate about uh, marijuana um, legalization, and that that was really the, the, the first time I ever remember being you know, right. against a party line. Uh, in doing research on the internet and finding out that you know all these things that I've been told were false and that you know it's actually better to have it legal, you know, and these it just it sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, um, the first the first experience I ever really had um, um, where that where that sort of transferred into political um, belief was on a, a phone conversation I was discussing with a Republican uh, school uh, colleague, and uh, this is when I was maybe 17, the 2004 election, and. Um, he had said on the phone, you know, like, plain and simply, um, I don't, you know, I, I work for my money and I don't think I should have to pay uh, my taxes based on what I do. And it was a very simple question, but it really made a lot of sense to me. And it really wasn't hard to um, accept what he was saying and sort of, and it was really funny because just as he was, I, I was having that conversation, I, I met uh, Frank and started talking and reading about libertarianism and it just snowballed from there. And the uh, the massive amount of confidence that it uh, that it takes to sort of stand up to the world and say y'all are nuts did that uh, face you at all or did that I love it. I want to go around this no morning with my friend Matt and my appendix isn't too well so I wanted to it's, it's missing in fact so I wanted to get a wheelchair and, I wanted to get a wheelchair and walk around the block in like <laughs> robes and just enjoy the the beautiful scenery and the birds that were out you know the trees in bloom anyway not beautiful scenery and we were thinking that you know people would think we were crazy for doing that but you know what we're Doing us, you know, and I totally embrace that. I love it. And I think that medically, yeah. you're doing a lot better than your appendix is currently. But so, which is probably in some seagull's belly and heading south. Um, so that's interesting. So, um, so you, you basically what you got you going was the the war on right, drugs, just... like the idea of legalization of marijuana. And did you before you doing before you sorry to interrupt, but before you started the studying in that particular topic, did you have an opinion about it, or or did yeah, you well, just sort of start exploring it and then come to that conclusion? My father, who was pro legalization of drugs, and it, I guess you know he was somewhat of a hippie, so you know he, uh, I don't know, for whatever reasons he he wants like drugs to be legal, but then you say you want to get rid of another government program, and he doesn't support that. So it's a it's very inconsistent, but. Um, I think you know him sort of having that and conveying that to me allowed me to see the inconsistencies. I suppose. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, for, for what, from a particular instance, you were able to extract a principle and apply it even in areas that made you uncomfortable. Whereas your dad is like he has mm -hmm. that particular thing, which is around a personal preference, but he's not able to extract mm -hmm. that as a principle and apply it in other areas. Now, did you ever go through a phase where you came to some particular area of government action and you sort of hesitated a little bit like standing at the edge of a cliff and said, okay, well, I've got all these principles and that's great, but this um, one's a bit of a doozy. I mean, I've spent some time as a, as a uh, status libertarian, I guess, of the two types, you know, of the anarchist and the, and the pro-state libertarian kind, you know, I, I, but I... I right. Yeah, the, the ones um, we call maddeningly close. And no, I guess you know, like a, I don't know. It just everything became so clear with the podcast. What can I say? 
So you haven't had an area where you uh, you hesitated before no, just, saying, okay, well, I can keep going. Progression. I mean, yeah, I did stop along the way at several points, but nothing. Well, I guess to ease the passage, it's good to get reconciled to marijuana first, right? Because then the rest of it's pretty easy and pretty smooth. <laughs> Anytime I feel uncomfortable, I just take a little ganja man and it's easy. <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. Uh, that's I'm why right. you still on? Hey, before you get started with probing my whole life story, I want to mention that you guys should all be jealous because I have Peter Byland on my Skype and you don't. <laughs> I, 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 just, uh, I just chatted with him. No, you I, I invited him to your conference, but he said he didn't have a microphone right now, so now he left. So, well, I, I, I thought yeah. it would have been really great to have you and Pear together. You two should uh, really hit it off. Well, you, you know who he is, right? No, I don't. Well, know. No, you don't. Email. He's a great anarchist no, thinker. No, I don't know him. He's, uh, I would say he's uh, really. Uh, I would say he's similar to you in terms of ideas, but he's really great. He has a lot of great articles. Yeah, I'm really a big fan of his too. So <laughs> I was getting excited there, but no, he couldn't come. So. <laughs> but uh, he's great. No, we're gonna have him on our show next week. Oh well, great. I'll listen in and uh, send me his email. I'll. Uh, oh well, great. I'll listen in and uh, send me his email. No I'll, uh, I'll send. And no, he's not German. I forgot where he is. I think he's Norwegian. Sorry, all right. Who's chewing on Sorry, the microphone? Sorry, right. that might have been me there. Uh, somebody has an echo. Um, okay, good. Our echo's gone. Now, Francois, I can't imagine, uh, given your uh, delicate personality, that there was a lot of uh, pauses as you plunged headlong into uh, anarchism. But were there any areas that uh, you uh, found to be problematic? Uh, I think the one the thing that kept me from being an anarchist. Well, first of all, the lack of. Un knowledge of it, of course. And the second area, which took me a while, even when I was um, listening to you, was this notion that we need to have a... No, I'm not on headphones. This notion that we need to have a standard of objective law, of objective rights, and that uh, that society should be oriented towards that. And that anarchy would not have that aspect. That's, I think that's a pretty standard objectivist argument, which I, uh, which I really thought uh, was correct for a number of years, until, of course, I uh, thought about your moral arguments, etc., and um, realized that, in fact, it, an anarchy would probably sustain objective rights over a period of time better than a government. So the, yeah, I think, it, yeah. yeah. I think that was yeah, the, it's, it's, sorry, I, I think right. that was the main blockage for anarchy for me. Yeah, well, certainly Ayn Rand was pretty aggressive about the need for a, a, a small state. I mean, this is looking back on it and having reread Atlas Shrugged or actually I listened to it in an audiobook uh, for the last, I guess, couple of months ago. It is, it is a wonderful, wonderful story, and she's so close uh, to the answer. And then at the very end to say, well, now the smart guys are going to design the government, and so everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it's just the saddest thing in the world, right? Because even if John Galt is the most brilliant guy in the world, and he's the philosopher king who is going to make the whole thing work, well, he's going to die, 
and then there's going to be some other James Taggart who's going to come along and take over the whole structure and begin the whole process of corrupting it again. So just having gone a little further in my own thinking since the last time I read out and shrugged, hearing it again, I was startled by how close she was to so many of the things that we're talking about now, but also disappointed by uh, the ending where it's, it, it seems to take this, the fizzle out of the whole book. And I think that if she had gone the whole hog and said that we're going to go back and have a voluntaristic society, I think the book would have had a lot more impact in the general culture because it would have had a much greater sense of consistency. I, I understand her argument from a theoretical standpoint, but I think if you look at it as a comparative issue, which I think we should always do, and, and, and you look at the dynamics in both cases, I think it's, it's pretty obvious if you think about it that objective rights and law are, are more likely to be uh, sustained. I think anarchy would tend towards objective rights, while government does not, obviously. It's the reverse, right. if anything. So. Right. 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 Now, uh, did, uh, what, what was Ali's was Ali status when you met her? Was she, uh, oh, where was she along this particular journey? She was uh, about the same place I was. Li libertarian atheist. Ah, okay, cool. Well, she, she, she says she was liberal, ah, okay, but... Cool. Uh, she didn't really, you didn't really know what libertarian was, that's the whole thing. I think it's exposure to an idea is really the main problem, really. It's not really being convinced of it, it's... Once I was exposed to ideas, you know, I knew that those were my positions. I didn't really have much of a problem in adopting new positions, it was just knowing about them. And can you, do you think you have anything similar to what Niels was talking about in terms of his relationship with his father and maybe being more of an authority and having a slightly less strong bond than some yeah, other people with his own father that may have led him to have less to lose I, in a sense uh, with individual Yeah, I didn't really have big bonds with my parents. And uh, my father's dad has been dead for a while. So, uh, no, I've never felt much bonding with my family, no. Interesting. Uh, Andrew, sorry to dip back to you for a sec, but I didn't ask you the question about uh, um, close bonds with your own father. Not really. I mean, it's that's the thing is you look at it and you're, it's, it's you seem like every other relationship. You know, it's like a, every other father-son relationship seems, seems the same, but really there's nothing there to it. You know, it's, that's the thing that I've come to realize recently, you know, is that it's just... Uh, it never was close. You know, you can think it was. You can tell yourself that in your own mind, and you do. But deep down, you know it's not, I guess. I don't know. Well, yeah, and I think that I know that, that for, my, for myself, one of the things that I've mistaken around things in terms of, like, closeness or the idea of closeness is that when you're very young, well, your parents are going to play with you, and they're going to feed you, and they're going to clothe you, and they're going to take you to the zoo, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, which is great. But none of that has anything particular to do with your individual personality. Mm -hmm. That's just stuff you do with very young kids. And there is a great challenge for parenting, which I'm going to try and dig into this week, uh, right after the whole thing on the Marxist theory of value, um, <laughs> which is the idea that when your child begins to develop a distinctive personality and thoughts of their own, that's where a lot of parents 
kind of don't make the transition to appreciating the growth of individuality and encouraging the growth of independent thought within their children. And that's because their own authority is not based on anything particularly moral. It's just based on I, I'm bigger and stronger kind of thing. I mean, however nicely that's portrayed. So I know that for myself, looking back on my very early childhood, where there was some fun stuff that was going on, that stuff had some resonance for me and gave me some sense of closeness that I don't think existed because the moment I began to think for myself, that sort of fun stuff kind of, it didn't evaporate completely, but it definitely diminished. And then more friction uh, came about, which, which I think was a shame, but I think it's something that's very common. Does that uh, make any sense to you, or is yeah. that just uh, my, uh, my experience? Definitely my... Uh... <clears throat> I guess my my mom was always, I think, good with me as a child. You know, she did certain things to instill the very simple, you know, we don't use violence, we don't hit, you know, uh, things in me, you know. Um, but beyond that. I'm not sure. You can take the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm, okay. I'm here. Uh, Lance, are you uh, still in? Good, okay. Well, I know you've been eagerly awaiting questions about your own father, which I'm sure is exactly what you expected to come out of a libertarian conference call. And, of course, you know, you can answer it or not, but I guess I've already put my own history out there, so you're free to, of course, answer I kinda, it or not, as you see fit. But uh, I kind of joined into the conversation a little bit history? late. Um, I was trying to figure out where exactly we were going to be holding this, whether or not it was still going to be on the team speaker if it decided to go to Skype. So I, I would you – Yeah. what was the question or – what, what was going on exactly? Uh, All right. So we're going to what we're going to do here is attempt to recreate your birthing experience. <laughs> so if you could just close your eyes for a second. No I'm kidding. Um, mm. You hear a heart. Everything's all like blurry. Yeah. water rafting, but very slowly. <laughs> That's right. You can see. Wow. Um, so what we're doing is at least one thing that I'm curious about is. Uh, trying to find the commonalities of experience that we've had. And so the reason, I mean, the reason for that in the larger sense is that it would be nice for us to sort of try and figure out if there's a personality profile of people who are more pro-libertarian or who have that capacity if they're exposed to the ideas because we want to try and get as many people on board as possible and not waste our time sort of beating our head against the wall of people who aren't going to change. So I think that now we have a sort of community growing of people who have similar ideas. It might be worth asking a little bit about uh, sort of backgrounds to see if there's anything in common. So the, the way that I started asking of this was to look at something like when you began to sort of have these ideas, what was the triggering incident, and was it difficult for you to progress in them, and so on. So if you uh, like to talk about sure. that. Sure. I was great. introduced to libertarianism really from a friend um, during uh, – right before the last election um, in, in the United States. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of the – it, it, it was through the Libertarian Party that's uh, in the United States. So uh, I did some research on uh, LP.org and uh, kind of researched their, their stands on a lot of things, and they just kind of made sense um, from a logical perspective. So uh, especially, you know, with the war on drugs, um, with the uh, stance on uh, some uh, the gun control, uh, and, and other such things, because um, I, I was brought up around guns and stuff, so I, I never really, and I live in California, so I never kind of got that whole nobody's allowed to carry a gun kind of thing, so 
um, those were some of the things I was, I was struggling with in my own area. So when I, after researching all of that, I, I came to uh, my own conclusion that I agree with uh, the libertarian stance, so that's what I started voting on. And then, of course, I, I started expanding my, my horizons and started trying to get more information about libertarianism, and I stumbled upon your podcast by a simple Google search. So, um, precisely. Oh, you were just looking for, like, libertarian podcasts yeah, you know, or those, crazy one. guy who can't stop talking, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one of those two. Either one will get you to the right place, I think. <laughs> guy who never seems to inhale. So yeah, I, I started listening right. to your <laughs> podcast, and I, I agree with uh, most of what you say. Um, I'm I'm struggling with the uh, Christianity thing um, because I I am a Christian, and uh, I oh. I well, you know, it, it's good to to listen to the to that perspective because you know I. I was born into a Christian community, and you know you've you've got to be able to test your faith. At least I believe so. You know, I can't just believe something blindly, and for the rest of my life. No, I agree, and I I know that there are some people who are a little bit yeah. more like, oh my god, a Christian, oh my god. But I, I mean, for me, it's great. I, I very much appreciate uh, the the intellectual rigor, uh, the the curiosity, and of course, I know that it takes quite a bit to listen to pretty strongly dissenting viewpoints it takes quite a bit of energy and effort and we libertarians know that because of course in politics that's all we ever get from the popular media is stuff right. that rubs us the wrong way so I know how difficult that is so I certainly appreciate you sticking it through and, and giving uh, giving the atheistic viewpoint a chance to see how sure. well, uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, intellectually I, so I think that's yeah that's it's, it's a struggle for me <laughs> to, to say the least I mean it's it's a struggle because uh, atheistic views are very logical and uh, you know I being born into a Christian community uh, and you know being being part of it for so many years of my life it's it's hard to break free of that ideal and switch to a different paradigm especially since um, even even though I I do agree with a lot of uh, the you know with the logical process that you've taken us through on your in your podcast I still don't I, I can't really see myself not believing in God um, even though, you know, you, you've kind of debunked the Jesus as a, I guess, the historical Jesus, but um, it's, yeah, it's. I understand. It's an it's an accumulated a life experience for you that would feel almost like taking yeah, a major yeah, I mean, it, it, out it, of your it, body, right? So there's an echo now. That's how I Do you uh, do you mind if I interrupt for a second? Can I just, sorry, Christina was just tugging at my uh, sleeve to ask a question, and then we'll go back to you, Francois. Well, I was just wondering how you deal with the struggle. I mean, today was was or is Easter Sunday. I mean, are you a practicing Christian to the extent that you go to church, that you celebrate the religious holidays? How does, you know, your, your new, these ideas that Steph is putting forth, that atheists have put forth about the existence of God, how does that affect you? It definitely affects me. I'm practices. number one. I'm not a, uh, I guess a. Uh, how do how do I say this? A typical Christian. Um, I I was I was, <laughs> I, I was raised in, sure a, case, in a Seventh sure. Day Adventist. It's a kind of a different sect of Christianity. I don't know if anybody's ever had any experience with Seventh Day Adventism. Um, Saturday's off. Saturday's off. Yeah, heard off. I don't know much uh, yeah, about the Yeah, precisely. Saturday is the Sabbath. Uh, we understand that Saturday, it, it was 
the Sabbath was changed from the Jewish Sabbath to uh, the Sunday worship because of Constantine. Um, and But we, we kind of go back to the Jewish belief um, uh, that Saturday is the Sabbath. So we rest on that day and go to church on that day. Um, and I still do, do that. I, I still go to church because... I, you know, I love the community. I love being around good, good people, uh, you know, good intentioned people, I guess. Um, it is, it's a struggle, you know, to well, sure, yeah. listen to, uh, I guess, to uh, sermons uh, that are pretty much based on, you know, pick and choose from the Bible. Um, personally, I don't believe that the Bible was uh, written by God, you know, through, like, some kind of trance or something. Um, I think it was a uh, historical, semi-historical record of uh, people believing that God touched their life in a way, and so they had to write it down with their um, influences throughout their life. But, yeah, to, to go back to the to what Christina asked me, it's... <laughs> It's, it's difficult dealing with it, um, and definitely my views have changed. Uh, and I don't know, being Easter, uh, I never really kind of did anything on Easter except for hunt for eggs. So, because I mean, I was always because I was part of the Seventh Day Adventist this the Seventh Day Adventist community. We were always taught that it is a pagan holiday, and so even though we would recognize that, you know. Or we are now celebrating it as Christ being risen. It was actually a pagan holiday to begin with, and we just kind of adopted it. Right. So they do know something about the historical origins of some of the uh, rituals, which were, yes. I guess, were overtaken by Christianity from previous religions. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and just sorry, just before we go back to uh, to uh, Francois, uh, this um, this exploration that you're going into about. Uh, other ways of looking at religion than the one that you were brought up with. Uh, what effect is it having on the conversations that you're having with other people, obviously, I guess, some of whom, or the majority of whom of which, have not gone through the process well, actually, going through at the moment? It's, uh, <laughs> I, I'm kind of trying to, to struggle. I'm struggling with trying to prove God from a logical perspective. Um, yeah, laugh, if you will, but, I mean... <laughs> No, listen. If you can do it, let me know, and I'll be the first. Well, to I'm, I don't think I, I can really do will, it alone. That would be quite I think an that, I mean, there, there's obviously a reason why there are still Christians to this day, and other than they've been brought up. I mean, there, there are logical people in the world who are theologians and who have struggled with exactly these questions that you've brought about. So I think that I am, I am pulling from my own resources. I do work at a, at a Christian university who or a Seventh-day Adventist university, and there are plenty of theologians around, so I, I have been asking them questions, and they've actually asked, uh, one of my professors have um, asked me to, to take part of uh, philosophy of religion uh, class. He said, you can sit in on it and everything. So I, I, I will be um, posting about it on the, uh, you know, once I actually get some information that's worth hearing and reading about, um, I'll, I'll be posting it on Forum. Well, I'm certainly I'm certainly eager to get get those perspectives and get those viewpoints because it is a very challenging uh, position to to 
to alter. I mean, I think that, uh, as, as we've talked about in the podcast, of course, the, the question about why there is still a religion, if it's not true, is obviously a very complicated one and, and a deep one, and I've sort of certainly touched upon my particular opinions on it, but I certainly think that it's a, I think that debating with Christians is a very important aspect of, of atheism, and sure. I think it's something that's a little bit underrated by some atheists. <laughs> Uh, but, well, but I, I just wanted to say one thing. Me just being here is just to obtain, like, uh, just to obtain knowledge. It's not to try to convert anybody to Christianity. I mean, you, you've obviously gone through a lot of uh, logic and, and, or, you know, gone through your own process, and everybody here has gone through their own process, and uh, the reasons why they have become atheists, you know, and, or, or just are atheists, period. Um, I, I, you know, by, by no means is my goal here trying to convert anybody to Christianity. So, Good. Well, at least there's one side that's not trying to convert the other, then that's good. <laughs> so, Francois, did you have a question? Just a second. I think Francois' head's just exploded. I think Francois' head's just exploded, so we might take it because he was probably not expecting a Seventh-day Adventist on the conference call. So he's probably, he's probably just reassembling his yes, head, can. and we'll join us in a moment. All right, anyway. Yes, we can. There's a little bit of an echo Sorry about that. I'm eating the most delicious pork tenderloin you've ever tasted. That's great. <laughs> On a Sunday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. On a Sunday? No, really, it's great. It's delicious. Anyway, my question was, um, how do you reconcile the values of uh, uh, libertarianism and uh, market anarchy? with um, the anti-values and the sacrifice mentality and the slave mentality and the altruism inherent in the Christian doctrines, which are really, in fact, at its very foundation. Me personally? Yes. Um, it's a very good question. <laughs> uh, I... I <laughs> Should we go no, back to asking you about your father? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead, sorry. Well, I I believe that... Sorry, I wasn't trying... I, I wasn't uh, really kind of prepared to join this and start talking about Christianity and my, you know, my personal beliefs. I was just going to kind of listen in, but... Hell, since we're doing it... <laughs> Well, I mean, and you're certainly free to do that, but I mean, it's, if you can do it, that would be great. It would certainly no, be an interesting I, I'm, question for us to, to hear. Right, I, I'm, I'm more than and willing it's just to, your to opinion, speak right? about I mean, it. I, I've just got to kind of collect my thoughts and, and put them in a order that other people would maybe find logical. No problem. Can I jump in a bit, uh, Stefan? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, Lance would appreciate it. What I wrote in the, in the chat, uh, and Andrew... Uh, uh, shares this experience with me. He said, I wasn't impressed with my parents. Uh, and because, and I also didn't experience oh, that they were very happy or that their relationship was very great. So that means that th their power structure over me um, didn't impress me in any way. And also... You're breaking up, Andrew. Sorry. We have an echo, too. We have an echo, too. Well, all of that combined with um, being raised as an atheist um, already set me in a position to, you know, I have a 
I've heard that my, you know, Christian neighbors were bad because they took their kids to church and all, all this stuff. So I was already set against everyone else, so to speak. And uh, I fundamentally, you know, the same thing was unimpressed, uh, as Neil said, with my parents. So I had both aspects of it. Well, I can certainly share that uh, for sure in terms of not being impressed with my own parents who just looked like, you know, a very long, slow and tortuous train wreck going on pretty much perpetually. So it was hard for me to look at that and say, oh, leadeth me on, oh, fair shepherd. And but there are of, of, uh, wisdom. people who can, can impress you, you know, when you're a kid. Uh, people with strong uh, opinions or, or look tough or have any kind of uh, thing that, uh, that impresses you. But uh, I just didn't experience that. Yeah, and I think it's certainly very true that uh, children very much yeah. want uh, someone to look up to, to lead them uh, in, in a path that is going to be productive and make them happy. Now, this uh, echo keeps coming back. Is there somebody who's uh, turning on speakers and not speakers? Is it from the pork-eating infidel corner? Is it from the pork-eating infidel corner? I'm microphone, but I still want you to hear me. You, still well, you can use Skype to actually turn it on and turn it well, off. Well, what I did, and I, I feature of Skype. Do you still hear me? Yeah, uh, yeah we can hear you, but we're also got an echo. Okay, uh, yeah, we well, can hear you, but we're also got an echo. You can still hear it. it. Might not come from me. Let me go. I'm going to turn off my microphone. <laughs> okay, now we can talk about. I actually wanted to ask that. Did you hear the echo? No, it, it's you. It's me. Well, there's really nothing more I can do about that. Just go to headphones. No, I, I'm eating. You're eating so you can turn on your headphones. <laughs> anyway, Follow your headphones. I don't care. But I'm eating. Anyway, go ahead. I was wondering, I have a question for Francois, actually. Uh, could, could you repeat your question to me so I can... Write it down and think about it for a minute. Well, the question I asked you was pretty fundamental, which is basically how do you reconcile the moral contradiction? More specifically, how do you reconcile the libertarian values and market anarchist values such as uh, freedom and benevolence and trader principle, etc., and honesty versus the Christian anti-values, which are basically to to repress choice and value, and uh, the, the preaching of sacrifice, which is fundamental to Christian doctrine, and altruism, and submission of your mind, and uh, etc., and all that juicy stuff. Now, are you saying uh, the, to reconcile moral differences because of what the church has done in the past, or are you saying no. that no, I, because I'm, I'm of like a, a biblical... No, I'm talking purely ideologically. Okay, I, I, I don't think I've ever been raised to believe that uh, there's some kind of ideological sense in the in Christianity that it's supposed to be against morals. But no, I'm not saying you were thought that. I'm asking you how you reconcile the conceptual facts involved in, in, Christi in Christian doctrine and in the Bible versus the values of uh, libertarianism. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think I understand. I'm <laughs> 
Pardon my ignorance. I mean, this is... This no, it's is, okay. Is it something like, do you mind if I... Uh, can you just send the speakers down? Is it something like, do you mind if I... Uh, can you just send the speakers uh, okay, down for a second? Yeah, first one. How's that? It's just that with the with the Lance, uh, sorry, with the echo, Lance <laughs> does sound like God, and that might sound like we're begging the question. Children. So uh, I think the question might be something like: uh, in libertarianism, you have very much an individual conscience. The individual is uh, not need does not need to be sustained by any kind of social entity uh, or central organizing entity. That it's very much around individual conscience and thinking for yourself and using rational principles and that there is a non-sacrificial, like there is no possibility that the individual can be justly satisfied or sacrificed to the collective, that there is no sort of good Samaritan positive set of rights, that you have to help others in, um, in libertarianism, but in the Christian sense, in the Christian ethics, particularly in the New Testament ethics, there's quite a lot of that. And if I understand Francois' question, it's something like, in the New Testament, you're very much, you know, you are your brother's keeper and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and you should help uh, give, throw off everything that you own and help the poor and it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That there's quite, and there's no, usury is very much condemned, like lending for interest and so on. So there's a lot of sort of anti-free market, I guess you could say, or anti-individualistic, anti-rationalistic moral principles within the New Testament and to some degree in the Old Testament and uh, how do you reconcile those with some of the libertarian stuff that uh, makes you tick? And it's a question I have as well, of course, because if we could tap into the Christian libertarian stuff without so much getting the God stuff, that would be great for, for us, for the libertarian movement as a whole. Okay, I, I, I think I'm understanding it. Um, you know, obviously I'll be corrected if, if I don't, but um, I, I think as personally, uh, to reconcile it myself, I, I see a complete split between Christianity and morals. Um, I think that community morals have been around, you know, a few hundred years or you know thousands of years before Christianity. Um, so I don't think that that Christian beliefs are, at least for me. I mean, maybe it's for other Christians, but I don't think that they're based on morals. I think they're based on teachings and and God's uh, influence and uh, participation in humanity. Okay, and then so, I, I have a little problem here. Sure. If you're saying that Christianity, the, the te quote, teachings of Christianity are not about are not a competing morality, then what are they? No, I'm, I'm not saying that that morals are are wrong or morals are not there. I'm, I'm trying to say no, that well, there's, what I'm there's a split. Is, you said that that no, I understand. You're saying that Christianity. It's not. It's not about. It's not a. It's not a, a, a competing morality for you. Okay. So that you separated from all issues. But then I have to ask you. Then what is Christianity? Christianity and the belief of Christ and and God. So to to you, Christianity is a purely ontological issue. It's yeah. just a claim that God it's exists. A, it's exists. That's all it is. It's a. It's a belief that God has somehow uh, come down and, and spoken to humanity. Because there's no way that an, a, a holy other person, something that, that we cannot reach on our own, something that is you know, beyond all of our comprehension, there's no way that we could, I guess, reach it. Um, so that our, our only understanding of God is God 
coming down and, and giving us information throughout the ages in order to say, here I am, I do exist, this is, you know, these are little bits and pieces of my persona. Okay, so you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior and, and that Jesus came to save humanity from sin, correct? No, I do believe Christ Jesus was here on the earth because there's. No, no, that's I not what I, I'm asking you specifically a moral issue. I'm asking you if you believe, you don't believe that Jesus is your savior, and you don't believe that Jesus came to save mankind from sin, right? Because these are moral issues. I believe that Christ came here to save us from death, to save us from an eternal death. Okay. And the the reason why is because um, now. It, but I mean, you, you do I'm sorry. Like, this this is now getting into a, like a completely theological stance, and I, I'd have no, to. No, no, but like, but listen. What you, you said, you said that Christianity has nothing to do with morality, but now you're you do realize that's because that, I believe that 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 the original sin and the only sin is not that we have these moral beliefs that we have to follow by. It's because that I believe that. The only sin that there is is uh, we believing that we somehow know what is what uh, a God's eye perspective. We know what is best for humanity. Okay, but you do understand. You're saying that Christianity has nothing to do with morality, and, and on the other hand, you, now you're saying that Jesus Jesus came to uh, what? What moral standard? If you want to talk to him, you can come in the mic. But I'm just saying, it's just Ali's. But uh, you're saying that Jesus came to save us from death, but did you realize that the if death, if you believe that death does not exist, then you have a, a you have a, a serious moral problem. Why? You do realize that, don't you? No, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Because How do I have a moral issue if I don't believe that there is an eternal death? It's an extremely grave moral issue because if death exists, we have a, a, a finitude of of, of 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 resources to to uh, uh, that necessitate us making moral judgment. Is the finitude of our life resources and material resources which necessitate moral judgment? We, we have to decide how to act. But if life is not... We life, have to decide how to act in order to get along with humanity as a whole, not because we have a, a, an impending death. You know, it's it, that's not the case. Fine, fine. You have no reason to be nice to other people. You, Why? I mean, if I want to get along with other people, I'm going to be nice to them. I mean, that's just human nature. I mean, my that, well, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, if I want to live in a community... And if I want to get along with other people, I must have moral perspectives in order to protect uh, other people's livelihood as well as my own. And that has nothing to do with, in fact, if I believe in God or not. Sure, sure it does. If you believe that you're not going to die, well... Well, now, if I can just jump in for a second, because I think that the, um, the possibility of resolving Christian versus atheistic ethics... Is well, all I'm saying is there's a basic contradiction in moral approaches. 
I, I, yeah, I fully understand that for sure, but I think that's a complicated topic that I think it also might be fair to give Lance, I mean, if he okay. wants to, and I certainly would appreciate it if he would, to give Lance a chance to prepare for that because we've had, you know, 20 years of reading and thinking to prepare, and he's jumping in uh, a little bit unprepared. So I think it may be a little bit uh, pouncy uh, right. to, to sort of ask for these, these answers, and I think that uh, it's, it's well worth talking about for sure, and I certainly would appreciate hearing more of Lance's opinions, but maybe we can let him dig into the philosophy of religion a little bit more so that he can come fully armed because we definitely want him to be on his best game when we have uh, that no, conversation. Does that make sense, Lance? That, I don't mean to be... That, uh, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I, I appreciate that because, I mean, yeah, I, I do really feel kind of unprepared. Um, you know, I... Yeah, we want you to be suited up with a full <laughs> shop and sword. <laughs> the biggest lance you can find, right? Because, you know, we want to make sure yeah, I don't that, wanna... that we've, got, uh, we've got the best perspective on hand. And again, you know... I don't want to think that. I mean, I don't want to see... I don't want to change any... chance for that. <laughs> well, like I said, I didn't come here to, to, to convert anybody. I'm, I'm simply trying to understand it from a atheistic point of view and from a more libertarian point of view. And... Uh, fine, but, but the, uh, the, the question that Stefan posed to you was one part of my question, but my, my real fundamental question is how to reconcile the completely anti-value sacrificial approach of Christianity versus the positive values and the, um, the, the, the moral realism of libertarianism and market anarchy. I think that's really the fundamental basic question, the basic contradiction. The, the points that Stefan brought out, I think, are a consequence of that contradiction. I think so, you made a lot of big points, but the really fundamental problem is that it's just not the same approach at all. They are two completely opposite approaches to life and to morality. So you're saying that since Christian beliefs are based on sacrifice and submission, that that is somehow a problem because It's not just libertarian. based on sacrifice it's not just based on sacrifice and, uh, and mental submission. It's, it's a system of anti-value at its core. Well, yeah, but I think, I think in order to make that statement comprehensible to a Christian, I think we'd need to start with a lot more sort of basic definitions. Okay, okay. Well, and well, I think pretty much metaphysics. So I think, and I think we, we need to sort of back off and start from that. And I think it's a great conversation to have, and I, I really do enjoy those conversations, but... Uh, I think that the problem is that we're going to have to start a little bit further back, just so that our position makes a bit more sense. Because if we start arguing about ethics without the metaphysics in place, then it's going to be a little bit confusing. And I'm sorry to be throwing around all these $20 Greek words, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Christina's uh, early Greek education needs to pay off somehow. So, um, no, I think let's, let's have that conversation for sure, but let's uh, let uh, Lance dig into a little bit of, the, uh, uh, of, of his uh, coursework. Now, is there anyone we haven't picked on? Now, Lance, you didn't seem particularly. Keen no, to yeah, I can I can talk about my dad. I mean, it's it's a kind of it's a short <laughs> subject. I mean, he he left my family when he when I was three. Um. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's no big deal. Well, I've I've reconciled it many years ago. He was never really around. I kind of lived with him for a little bit. Me and him didn't get along. He uh, he didn't seem too keen on the idea that uh, I, I wanted to be a part of his life, so I, I was like, okay, not a problem. Uh, and uh, after which I, after, a, after which I, I, I just kind of adopted, I guess, my grandfather as more of my father figure, uh, because he was a more um, stable person. He stayed with my grandmother for 72 years, so 
I mean, they, they, they had, in my eye, the perfect marriage. Um, so that, that's what I kind of based my, right. uh, how I would find my wife. Um, and, you know, my, that's, that's why I believe that I have such a good wife now. Um, now, did your grandfather no, my, my, and your father my get My father was a very uh, shady person. He, he cheated on my mother many years. Um, you know, I, I have two oldest brothers uh, who are 14 and 11 years older than me, and then I have a half-brother who is four years older than me. So do the math there, and, you know, you can see what happened. <laughs> wow. Where does that uh, carry the five and two... Yeah, that, that doesn't that doesn't spell fidelity to me for sure, and I'm certainly sorry to hear about that too. So, would it be fair to say that relative to Andrew and Niels's uh, own particular fatherhoods or father situations, that is somebody uh, just out of curiosity, somebody play music oh, in the background um, that, there? That may be me. Hello. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> Maybe. I'm, just let I'm us know if the conversation is not too interesting and, uh, to you. It's, uh, music <laughs> in the background. Uh, okay. Would you be able to mute your microphone? No there? problem. So um, let's see. I can uh, I can lower the volume on the recording. Yeah. Okay. Great. This is the first time we actually have some music in any sort of thing, anything to do with Freedom Aid Radio. That sounds good. That's nice. Um, so um, uh, would you say? I mean, it seems to me fairly obvious, but I just sort of have you confirm it that if if um, uh, Andrew and Niels are correct in terms of not having a lot of respect for their own fathers, and that's one of the things that led them to try and think more for themselves. And to, if you don't have a good template on how to live, then you do have to do a little bit more work. But it can end up propelling you sort of in that tortoise and the hare situation. It can end up propelling you further in terms of intellectual clarity than those who had a good template or a fairly good template. Does that sort of resonate with you at all? That the lack of that template led you to. Uh, think yes more and no. Um, the reason why is because, yeah, I, I think it resonates with me, but no, because I have uh, my, the, my friend uh, who introduced me to libertarianism uh, had a great father, and he has a great relationship with his father, and uh, he, is, he, he is a very critical thinker. So I, I believe that it's, I think the, the it comes down to probably more than just uh, a relationship with a single parent. No, and I, I would agree with that for sure. But let me ask you a, and a further qualifying question about your friend: Is his own? Does his own father encourage his believe, sort of independent thinking so. and that um, sort of stuff? It, it, I've never met the man, but uh, he, he, the way that my friend does speak about his father, uh, seems to be that that's that seems to be the case. Because I mean, that's very similar to the the friend of mine who first got me into reading Ayn Rand. His own father was a professor and a very intelligent and creative thinker and so on. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that to be a libertarian, you have to have a non-respectful non relationship with your father. But I think that if you uh, – to learn how to think, it's better to be taught how to think than to have to learn how to think on your own. So I think that your friend and my friend who have good relationships with their creative and intelligent fathers and fathers who encourage them to think, that is the best road to learn how to think. But if you don't have that particular kind of relationship and you do have a desire for, for thinking or bent towards it, then I think it's not a bad substitute to have to teach yourself. And I think that does come out of not having a paternal figure that you can respect okay. that you can I, lean I can, on in I terms of that. figuring out how to live. 
I mean, basically, what I'm saying is, I can adapt any theory <laughs> to uh, to to account for any kind of theory, any kind of facts. Well, I think having having gone through my podcast, I'm sure that's not a shock to you at all. So I don't want to point that out. You know, that's you my uh, methodology, the way, my operandi. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Now is yo. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, me? Okay. I just I wanted to mention ahead. that uh, Ali just left, but she told me that uh, she uh, idolized her father, and she still uh, somewhat does. So she, she, she said she was your, the exception. But, however, I have to say from knowing him that he's a pretty rational person. So maybe that that's probably uh, still fits into your uh, theory there. Well, I'm very glad for that, because if I had to crush one more category into the theory, I think it would really start to look shaky, so <laughs> so far, so good. Um, well, that's very interesting. Okay, well, I think that's that's some pretty juicy information for me, at least, and it certainly does help uh, me to, um, to talk about what I'm going to talk about in my sort of podcast later this week, uh, and of course, you know, to name names and uh, provide home <laughs> addresses and the exact lineage of the people, so, you know, I certainly appreciate Precisely. that, Just, you know, so there's no social embarrassment. <laughs> So, um, does uh, anyone else uh, have any particular questions about that that kind of topic, or anything else that they want to sort well, of uh, add to it? Well, the general topic, I, I missed the most of the chat today. Yes. Oh well, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your relationship with your own father, and whether you think that had any kind of effects on uh, you developing well, your know, libertarian tendencies. I can make a, I can make a connection. My father is uh, a bit of uh, an authoritarian figure, and. Um, well, he has other problems of his own, but um, I think if uh, we were to uh, to trace my my origins in this uh, doctrine of libertarianism, I think my my family might might have had something to do with it. But uh, I think that uh, eventually it was uh, a decision that I made myself based on on facts and information. So, yeah. Um, would, sorry to interrupt, but would you say that your own father did not provide you a particularly strong example of uh, a productive, no, effective, really. and, and happy way to live? Right, that, that seems to have some sort of catalyst. I mean, I don't think it's, it's, it's not the final answer, of course. It may so be a sufficient, but not necessary cause. We're not going to solve it in one conversation. Yes. Right, right, for sure. And if you could tell us a little bit about sort of, I remember you mentioning that you sort of found out about the Mises Institute for, through some online yeah, yes. um, uh, modeling of, of economics. Do you think that uh, there was something in your uh, own past or your own history that gave you a stronger desire to get into this kind of, uh, I guess, no, it's no a, centralized uh, authority kind of an accident. Uh, my entire family history does not uh, concord to this... Uh, this what I know and what I feel. This, this I have to say. So no, I, I don't think I I have an environment where I could have developed these ideas on my own. I simply walked. Uh, I st stumbled upon them and um, they appeared uh, sensible, sensible, and so I accepted them. I I felt compelled somewhat. I I cannot explain exactly why. And did you ever feel that uh, as you sort of peeled off from the social majority or the majority of people around you, did it ever feel like it was a huge leap 
of confidence to hold on to these ideas when very few people, well, of course, not, think, nobody else um, that you knew believed in them? If I were to make a full disclosure to my, my relatives, my, my peers, I think they would consider me crazy in the beginning. And maybe then, uh, I don't know. So these are not the usual ideas anyway. Um, I think um, doctrines such as atheism may have may have some some impact, but uh, anarchy might be something that is a little too much, and uh, I need to spend some time to explain and to make an introduction. Because no, you grew actually, up without no, religious instruction, I did grow up right? with religion. I had um, religion in school and for about eight years, full and. Uh, I received some religious instruction from my mother. We went to church when I was younger, and well, uh, I didn't really like it in church. So, well, what uh, what didn't you like? No, no, it's good it's songs, it's good costumes, it's dramatic. Where I have to show up in Sunday for about two hours and uh, stand up to the chants and well. It wasn't very comfortable for a young child to experience. Yes. I can yes, relate. Yes, it sounds like, like the that. Greek it's Orthodox Orthodox. religion. And it's, no, in, in it's, a, in a, it's in a language that you don't understand, oh. right? Oh, it is. Okay. okay. No, I think it was extremely but it boring. At times, I actually spent four hours standing up, and I was absolutely dazed after that. Oh, that's horrible. Um, and what happened when you began to pull away? Did your mother sort of try and pull you back, or did she just say, well, no, my mother that's meant for you, you know? About it uh, a little bit later. I, I don't think she still uh, grasps the full uh, entirety of the steps that I have made. Um, I, I mentioned once a few times that uh, I did not believe in God. The first time when I mentioned it to her, um, she... She was very emotional about it. She started cry. She started crying actually. So she said something like, "Oh, you don't believe in in the Virgin Mary and and something like this." And uh, well, uh, I think uh, we crossed that that line. But uh, she still thinks that somehow I am I'm still a Christian inside. But she wants to give me some room maybe to to discover uh, to discover it on my own. Yeah. No, I'm 21. Are you, uh, you're not married yet, is that right? Well, I would say that uh, you really have to watch out, uh, particularly for the Eastern Orthodox religions, when uh, you get married and have kids. Uh, that's when any particular agnostic playground that you've been allowed to hang around in will be abruptly closed by your social circle, because they generally tend to fall upon you uh, fairly heavily when you get married and have kids. About, uh, on what I believe, and uh, I don't think uh, they'll have any, any impact. I, I really think that by the time I will get married, I won't have anything to do with them anymore. So it, it's a future closed chapter of my life. Well, that's probably a sensible approach uh, because it is a, a very difficult tra transition to we can to sort of talk about uh, another time. It definitely is a very difficult transition to try and make. So uh, if you can do it without no, having to be close to your family, that's probably a lot easier. I have involvement in the family. I had never, I was never very attached to it, maybe to my my sisters, but but uh, my parents no. I, I I was never 
we're very fond of them anyway, so, yeah. And have you had any luck uh, with your sisters getting them they're, to uh, understand your approach? They're mystical creatures. I, I have not yet found a way to approach them on this. Maybe I, I give my, uh, my younger sister some pamphlet about, uh, not pamphlet, a kind of book from, from the Mises Institute about socialism, but, uh, well, um, I didn't, I didn't really make uh, serious steps into persuading them. I think that uh, before everything, uh, I have to make what I feel and what I believe uh, clear to me before I expose it to others. Yes. That sounds quite right. Yes, Do they speak English uh, very well? They can't uh, really go through an entire book. Yes. No, oh, it's a shame because I, otherwise you could have, uh, if they would be interested, of course, having a pan-European British guy yelling at them for about 150 hours might actually ah. uh, uh, help sway their Maybe. opinions. But they'd have to sort of get British into that, which may not be the easiest thing. Some singing voice? Maybe they would listen to you, I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of a new logo, um, and I think I could come up with a good one based oh. on some Photoshop, my head on Britney Spears' body. I think that could work out nicely. It could be about the scariest video in the known world, I think. Oh, dear. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, very interesting. Um, is there anything else that anybody wants to add to, uh, to this particular topic? Yeah, I would like to know, um, sure. I've been thinking about this for a while, and um, my question is, is there a structural or organizational solution to the problem of parental coercion, or will it have to be uh, a moral, moral awareness? Because I've been trying to think of such a solution, but I haven't been able to find one. Do you mean like the idea that uh, to allow it, uh, the, a methodology to allow parents to raise this, children um, without any coercion? How about this um, parents who don't raise their children properly face the risk of them living forever? So, um, yeah. Why? What did he say? Well, that's certainly an argument that I would make for sure. Well, I think, uh, based on the question of, uh, I, I wasn't sure, Francois, if your question was, is there a methodology for creating a coercion-free parenting style, or how well, do we get parents to yeah. hit their kids? Basically, my question is, because I've been trying to think of an easy fix to the problem, some kind of structural or organizational solution, such as... Uh, forcing everyone to send their children to some kind of um, uh, <laughs> no, some kind of, of, of free domain boot camp uh, parenting uh, parenting institutions which would be uh, staffed by, by, by professionals that kind of thing or maybe like having children moving from family to family but any solution I come up with seems very kind of inadequate and You haven't, uh, I don't know if you've read the one that I wrote about uh, yeah, but I'm wondering, the DROs yeah, help Yeah, I understand that anarchy would be helpful, but I'm wondering if the issue cannot be solved easily or if it's going to have to be another moral, like slavery and, and government and all that sort of thing. It's going to have to be. 
Uh, I doubt that uh, sorry, you have you to an, an institutional solution to something like this. You cannot make an institution because